all you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hard Headed Sports Podcast, episode number 24, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I'm going to be truthfully honest, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not quite sure what the next week or so holds for the show, uh, specifically within the next five days or so. I am going to have to go home. I'm going to have to travel home to get some orthodontal work. As I said at the beginning of last episode of the podcast, I have a wire that's dangling uh, from the top of my mouth because one of the uh, one of the wires of my permanent retainer has popped. And you may notice how it affects me over the course of the show, how I may slip on some words, how I may... Um, sound like I have a lips sometime and that's literally because I have a piece of metal poking at my tongue and making it super uncomfortable and uh, talking can become a very exercising thing when it's very uncomfortable so I am going to have to go home to try and rectify this problem it's a seven hour drive so it's not like oh I can go home for a couple hours come back and record a show and then put it out the next day no it is a full effort to go and get this work done. I've tried to find some other avenues to get done I've called uh, orthodontal clinics all over my area and there really has been nothing. Some people won't even do the procedure if you're not a patient of theirs already. So it's a little bit of a kerfluffle going on right now, a little bit of an issue. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to post content this weekend. I'm certainly going to try, but at the very latest or at the at, at its worst, uh, the next episode of the podcast will probably occur either Tuesday or Wednesday when I get back. So I'm going to do my best to post some content. I know that we've been slowing down on the content recently. Um, just, just for, I guess my sake, you know, you, you don't want to push yourself too hard. Um, obviously at this early stage, you want to be putting out as much content as possible, but I certainly don't want to exhaust myself. But regardless of that, uh, point being too long, didn't read version is I'm going to try to put out content this weekend. If not, now, you know why. And now that we could just focus on now that that's out of the way, we could just focus on today's show. I've got a really great show, mostly football oriented. Nothing really interested me or caught my eye outside the NFL this week. So I want to start off the show today talking about Derek Carr because over the last couple of days or so, I think the interview was actually had on Wednesday. I think, I think it was yesterday that this interview was actually had, but Raiders general manager, Brian Mayock uh, essentially gave the rundown of where his team was in terms of uh, organizational position and where they are in evaluating the talent. And, you know, they talked about Gabe Jackson, or actually he declined to talk about Gabe Jackson. He talked about um, Trent Williams, his contract. They were talking about Derek Carr as well. And the general manager went on record saying that him and John Gruden would be standing shoulder to soldier and pounding the table in support of Derek Carr, calling him one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I don't know about the rest of you, but when I heard that news, you know when you when you taste a lemon, like if or if you taste something really sour, like maybe a sour patch kid, and you just kind of have that like revolting twisting face. I was kind of that's that was kind of my reaction to hearing him say that. I was really just like I'm, I don't know about that one. So, I was curious, you know, Derek Carr tends to be a forgotten quarterback of the AFC. Uh, in the AFC conference. He's certainly not the worst quarterback in the NFL, but he wouldn't necessarily crack my top 10 list in terms of best quarterbacks in the NFL uh, since he entered the league in 2014. So I was genuinely curious. You know, I do my research about four hours the night before every show. So I, I get my notes, I pre-plan everything, and I make sure everything's as accurate as possible. Obviously, I miss things every now and again. I'm not perfect. But I went and did some extra research last night to figure out where Derek Carr actually winds up when, it, when you compare him to the other quarterbacks in terms of their passing stats over the last six or seven years since he's been in the league. 
And I found some pretty interesting stuff. Now, normally I'm not a, a sit at my desk and read straight notes kind of guy. If you have watched or listened to the podcast for a while, you know that, hey, I like to throw in some personal antidotes every once in a while. I like to talk to you. I like to act like you're right there in front of me instead of a figment of my imagination. <laughs> but regardless of that, uh, I, I wanted to look up the passing stats for each NFL season dating back to his debut in 2014. And uh, I wanted to read them off to you and see what you guys think. Have you guys reached your own conclusions as to whether Derek Carr is actually one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? And obviously your definition of what is the best quarterback in the NFL is going to be subjective based on what you find and what you think is good and or bad. So with that being said, in 110 games in his career, Derek Carr has a 47-63 and uh, quarterback record, which you can't necessarily contribute exactly to Derek Carr. I mean, obviously, that's a record of an entire football team with him as the helm at the helm of the football team. But it's not like the Las Vegas Raiders have been the, uh, the holy grail of football over the last six seasons or so. Derek Carr has a 64.4 completion percentage, 26,896 yards passing. I believe that's a franchise record with three 4,000-yard passing seasons, and he was very close in two other years to getting 4,000 passing yard seasons as well. I think he was like 13 yards away uh, one season. So you you could, even though officially that's not the case, you can argue that he has five 4,000-yard passing seasons, which is pretty good for being in the NFL for six to seven years. He has 170 touchdowns. 71 interceptions and averages 244 yards per game. He's also a three-time Pro Bowler with Pro Bowl seasons in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Now, I, I, I wanted to obviously get his stats, but I wanted to compare his stats directly to pretty much every single quarterback in the NFL during his time in the NFL. I wanted to do it maybe within the top five or top 10, but uh, pro football reference wasn't cooperating with me. And I did pull all these stats for pro football reference. It's all there. If you're interested to go and look at it for yourself, but looking at the passing stats for all of those seasons, here is where I found, and I cherry picked specific categories uh, to, to, to tell you for this segment specifically. So specific categories and where Derek Carr ranks in those Derek Carr, when it comes to completion, completion percentage, in 2014, in 2014, excuse me, in 2014, in terms of completion percentage, Derek Carr was 30th. In 2015, he was 23rd. 2016, he was 15th. 2017, he was 14th. 2018, he was 5th. 2019, he was 2nd. And 2020, he was 10th. So his best year in terms of completion percentage was 2019, where he was the second best in the NFL. When it came to yards in a season, in 2014, he was 19th. In 2015, he was 13th. 2016, he was 14th. 2017, he was 14th again. 2018, he was 12th. 2019, he was 8th. And 2020, he was 11th. So again, 2019, probably, despite what Brian Mayock has said, was statistically his best year thus far. Again, eighth in terms of passing yards in 2019. In terms of touchdowns, Derek Carr was 15th in 2014, uh, 9th in 2015, 8th in 2016, uh, 13th in 2017, 21st in 2018, 19th in 2019, and 11th in 2020. 
So his best year statistically for touchdowns was in 2016. Now, interceptions, and keep in mind, this is ranked from most thrown based on pro football. So if you're number one on this list, you have thrown the most interceptions for that given year. I tried to get the stats a little bit of a different way, and it didn't quite pan out. So that's the context that we need to take interceptions with. It's if you have the, if you're number one, you have thrown the most interceptions in the NFL that season. So 2014, he had the 16th most interceptions. In 2015, he had the 10th most interceptions. In 2016, he had the 28th most interceptions. 2017, eighth most, eighth most, excuse me, 2017, he had the 21st most thrown interceptions. 2019, he had the 19th most thrown interceptions. And 2020, again, he had the 19th most thrown 20 uh, most thrown interceptions. Excuse me. Again, best year statistically was 2016. So it seems like 2016 and 2019 so far are statistically some of his best seasons. Uh, and then quarterback rating. And these are the last couple of stats that we're going to look at. Excuse me uh, for for this this video here. A quarterback rating, 2014th, he was 30th. So 2014, his rookie season, uh, and this, obviously, it's not a logical leap to assume that your rookie season is going to be your worst season. But in 2014, he was 30th in quarterback ranking. 2015, he was 19th. 2016, he was 2016, he was 8th. 2017, he was 19th. 2018, he was 18th. 2019, he was 9th. And 2020, he was 10th. So 2016, again, was his best year. 2019 was a close second. And then QBR based on ESPN. Now, the quarterback rating for Pro Football Reference and the QBR calculations for ESPN are a little bit different. A lot of these numbers line up statistically, or they're very close. But there was enough of a difference for me to try and include this. Uh, 2014... He was the 30th most most sacked quarterback. Oh, no, excuse me. I'm, I'm already getting ahead of myself. In 2014, his QBR based on ESPN, he was the 30th best quarterback. In 2015, he was 31st. 2016, he was 16th. 2017, he was 21st. 2018, he was 28th. Uh, 2019, he was 10th. And 2020, he was 11th. 2019 was his best year in, in terms of QBR based on ESPN. Now, I did get a little bit ahead of myself, and I spoiled it. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, bad reporter, bad content creator, bad podcaster, bad whatever. I also was very curious to know how much he's been sacked under uh, under the Raiders organization since he's been there. In 2014, he was 23rd most sacked. In 2015, he was 14th most. In 2016, he was 34th most. 2017, 31st most. 2018, he was the 4th most sacked quarterback in the NFL. That's 4th. 2019, he was 20th. 2020, he was 18th. His best year was 2016, uh, being only sacked 16 times. Now, after all of that, you know, statistical jumbo that we just cooked together, and feel free to go back and listen to that to that again if you missed something or you may have forgotten something. Here is my takeaways from all of those stats. One of Derek Carr's best attributes is not turning the ball over. Uh, apart from 2015 and 2017, he was in the bottom half of the league in terms of throwing interceptions. So when it comes to his turnover ratio, even though he did have games with multiple interceptions, overall throughout the seasons, his interception total is actually consistently on the bottom half of the league in terms of throwing more interceptions. So he's not really throwing that many interceptions. He doesn't turn the ball over that much. 
And the thing that is not really going to appear on the stat sheet is actually Derek Carr's durability. And of course, everybody remembers Derek Carr breaking his leg right before the Raiders make the playoffs. And that was probably their best season under Derek Carr. And that completely killed all of their momentum going into the playoffs was when Derek Carr broke his leg. But apart from that, Derek Carr has only missed two games in his entire career. At least, at least that's my interpretation of the stats. Uh, that could be wrong. That's the way that the stats read. They might be missing something. It, it's it, the way, And the reason I'm saying that is it's hard to believe that he's only missed two games in his career. But if he truly has only missed two games in his entire career, that's a, that's a huge plus for Derek Carr because the saying is availability is the best ability. And the fact that he has only missed two games is absolutely incredible. But it also kind of deters him in a way because some of the stats, with the knowledge that he not only has not been injured all that much, but he also has had pretty consistently good offensive line. It's like, man, you should be doing better in those statistical categories, and you're not. Now, obviously, again, the Raiders aren't exactly the holy grail of football. They've had, a, apart from John Gruden in his most recent tenure, they've had consistent offensive coordinator and head coaching changes. It's going to be difficult for you to get any type of consistency, but I digress. Uh, as I said, he has had mostly above-average offensive lines apart from 2018 where he was sacked 51 times. So that that fourth ranking in terms of most sacked quarterback in the NFL, that was, again, 2018 where he was sacked 51 times. But apart from that, he's mostly consistently had and a very good offensive line uh, as an uh, uh, Oakland Raider, as a Las Vegas Raider. And statistically, you can argue that what Brian Mayock said was true in terms of saying that John Gruden has gotten the best out of Derek Carr consistently across the board. 2019 and 2020 were some of his best statistical seasons, apart from his 2016 season, which was also a Pro Bowl season. Uh, he had a pretty good statistical outing in that season as well. Um There is a steady increase in quality of stats the further his career goes on. So there is evidence that he has gotten better over time. But other than that, if you go back and you read the stats here, and maybe maybe I'll post a, a link in the description for all of these stats for you to look at yourself. Other than that, Derek Carr is essentially, based on the stats that I that that I provided, and apart from some outliers here or there, he's just above average in nearly every every category that I pulled. He's not average he's not a top 10 quarterback in the league but he's consistently in that 11 to 14 slot that 11 to 14 to 15 slot so he's that second line of quarterback in the NFL now again as I said at the beginning of the segment this all depends on what your definition of a good NFL quarterback is if a good NFL quarterback is just good enough to run the offense not turn the ball over and get you to playoff games then Derek Carr has succeeded in some capacity, but he's also completely failed in that capacity. And, you know, the gut reaction that I had when I heard the Raiders GM say, oh, Derek Carr is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and we're really happy with him. It's like, yeah, you could see why he would think that he doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't get injured very much apart from when he broke his leg. But other than that, statistically speaking, touchdowns are above average to below average. Sometimes he he. Passes for a lot of yards, but in some seasons, but he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns in those same same seasons, which means he's not putting the ball into the end zone, and the Raiders are having trouble scoring overall. And of course, 
with all that being said, with having such a good offensive line, you could definitely take a look at these stats and say, man, you should be doing a lot better than you actually are. So obviously I'm going to leave this a little bit open-ended as to the answering the question as to whether or not Derek Carr is actually one of the NFL's best quarterbacks. But based on the stats that I went through and I read for you, at least it appears to me that he is an above average quarterback, but he is just a step below that top 10 area where I would consider to be the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, let me know what you all think of this. Is Derek Carr one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in your opinion? I'm definitely interested to hear your take on that one. So an another thing that I was doing when I was going through and writing notes for the story is I realized, man, there's a lot of stories coming out today about some cap casualties. There are a lot of players that are getting cut from their teams, and this is the product of the salary cap um, being not what we thought it was going to be for this season. Obviously, with coronavirus going on, teams are going to have to make some extra cap cuts because the salary cap has not grown since the last NFL season. And of course, the final number as to what the salary cap is going to be, I don't think has been determined yet, but regardless of that, teams are already making decisions. And the, the main one that I wanted to talk about was Kyle Van Noy being cut from the Miami Dolphins. And in my doing my research for that segment, I thought, you know what, I might as well just give a couple of, of brief statements about a couple of other big names that got dropped from their teams over the last couple of days. So one of the big ones, uh, Gabe Jackson, uh, guard for the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, this one hasn't been officially confirmed, but this is reported that it's been confirmed. Uh, this will save $9.6 million in cap space for the Raiders. Uh, injuries really destroyed Gabe Jackson's career. He was a fantastic guard, and then he got injured repeatedly. And, you know, even though he played, a, uh, I think he played a full season this past season, his production was just average at best, so that not it's definitely not worth the worth the price tag for the Raiders. This is a price cut that I agree with, uh, and a lot of these I will end up agreeing with, apart from Kyle Van Noy. But we'll get to that. Uh, excuse me. Then uh, Jared Cook and Josh Hill, a pair of tight ends for the Saints, have been cut. Saints wouldn't have been able to re-sign Cook anyways. Cook was a free agent, uh, but they cut him before officially the season starts, so it technically counts as a cap casualty cut. Uh, Hill saves about $2.5 million in uh, money for the Saints. The Saints are probably going to have to find a, a number two tight end somewhere, probably in the draft at this point. Uh, the Texans cut Nick Martin and Duke Johnson. Nick Martin was a center, Duke Johnson a running back. This cut can, will save a combined $11 million. Uh, nothing too special to say about this. Obviously, the Texans are in full rebuild mode. They're going to need to get some money wherever they can get it. Uh, so there, there, these cuts make sense. Uh, Golden Tate. This is a, probably a name that a lot of people are going to recognize. Uh, Golden Tate, a veteran wide receiver. He certainly had his drama in his tenure in New York. Uh, his time on the field declined. He had some serious cases of the dropsies. He was horribly inconsistent. Uh, mutually beneficial for both parties to cut ways, that ways the Giants save $6 million in cap space with this move. And then next, another big one that you will recognize, Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph with 10 seasons with the Vikings, two-time Pro Bowler. He refused to take a pay cut this offseason, so the Vikings had to say, sorry, see ya. Um, mostly, it's a clean cut. Both parties released statements saying, okay, uh, we, we appreciate and we love each other, but it's time to part ways here. And uh, with, a, with a really bad tight end free agent class, I think Kyle Rudolph is going to get picked up very, very quickly. I think the Buffalo Bills, who we talked about on the front office frenzy in the last episode of the podcast, um, 
the Buffalo Bills are in need of a tight end, so I could see him going to Buffalo and being extremely productive with Josh Allen as the quarterback. And uh, this will clear about $5.1 million in cap space for the Vikings. Henry Anderson for the Jets. This is probably one of the best releases out of all of them. 1.5 sacks in his last 29 games on a $25.2 million contract. That is absolutely horrendous. Uh, they signed him off of a seven-sack season, I believe. They hoped that his production would improve, and the Jets' oversight really bit them in the butt badly here, and he was horrendous for the Jets. Um, the Jets are also very set at defensive line. That's probably their most straight, that's probably their strongest position as a football team, so they can afford the cut. I'm not, I, I actually, curiously enough, don't have the amount that this will save in my notes, but I'm sure it's anywhere between, uh, $2 million to $5 million in cap space that they're saving by cutting uh, Henry Anderson. And here we get to the man that I want to talk about. Kyle Van Noy getting cut by the Miami Dolphins. This move will save nearly $10 million in cap space. But this out of all of them, out of, out of the list that I just gave you, and of course if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm probably going to cut it right before I'm talking about Kyle Van Noy. I did have a full list on the on the podcast of of cuts that I found extremely notable or interesting, but Kyle Van Noy getting cut by the Miami Dolphins does not make sense to me. He uh, was in his first year of, a, of something like a four-year $50 million contract, and he really was the, I, I don't want to say the heart in the blood of, of, of that Dolphins defense, but he was a gigantic part of what the Dolphins were able to do on defense last year, and I don't quite understand this cut. The Dolphins probably weakest position was at linebacker, apart from Kyle Van Noy, uh, Andrew Van Ginkle. There was really nobody else in the linebacker core that was that was super solid. Jerome Baker is up and down with his performances. The linebacker core for the Dolphins was really the the group on the defense that was holding the defense back. The sacks were fine. The rush was fine. Obviously, Xavier Howard on the edge was pro he was my choice to be defensive player of the year uh, with what he was doing in terms of giving the Dolphins defense an extra push with all of his interceptions. The defense was fantastic for Miami last year, and Kyle Van Noy earning fifteen million dollars last year. If they had him signed uh, at the start of the season. Uh, start of the new NFL season, he would have had an additional $15 million. So he's an expensive signing, and I'm pretty sure that's why the Dolphins cut him. Is literally just super the, the, the price tag that he has on him. But logically speaking, um, the Dolphins have cap space. I mean, it's not like they're they're strapped for cash unless they're really going to try and make a splash in free agency. I really can't imagine what the Dolphins would want to chase in free agency besides an offensive lineman and a wide receiver. But with the number four, no, not the number four overall. No, the number three, excuse me, overall pick in the draft. You have, you're in prime position to get an offensive tackle in Panay Sewell, but you can also get a wide receiver in Devonta Smith. I mean, the Dolphins have a really good opportunity to fill whatever free agency needs that they have with that th uh, number three overall pick in the draft. So whether that's improving the offensive line, which was one of the worst in the football league last year, or getting another weapon for Tua Tunga Viola, like you can address that in the draft. I don't understand the need as to why you are cutting Kyle Van Noy to save $10 million for your cap space, which you're already up there in terms of cap space, you know what? I'm actually going to look this up really quick. 
to get my numbers straight. How much cap space do the Dolphins actually have? Going to go to over the cap really quickly. The Dolphins have $31 million in cap space right now. And let me see if Kyle Van Noy is on the roster at this point. I am not seeing him. So this is this is taking into account the Kyle Van Noy cut. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, so, okay, so even with $31 million in cap space at this point, $21 million in cap space, which is what they would have had prior to that, is really good. Uh, I, <laughs> that's, that's certainly something that a lot of the teams in the NFL would be wanting. That number is flexible, and that was your number with Kyle Van Noy. Again, just this financially, you can understand why it's intriguing to have $10 more million in cap space. But the Dolphins are in such a good position that cutting Kyle Van Noy just makes no sense financially, and it makes no sense for the structure of your football team. You cut a guy that was part of the culture building. He seemed like he wanted to be there on all accounts. You cut uh, your best player at your worst position group on the defense. So that, that tells me that the Dolphins might want to draft... Um, What's his name out of Notre Dame? Jeremiah Awusuk, something like that. He's got a very weird last name. Um, they might want to draft a linebacker with their with their second first round pick. Although I probably would have spent it on um, somebody a, a different position group. But regardless of that, that, I don't know. Can somebody tell me why this would make sense? I I'm struggling to find the reasoning in this move for the Miami Dolphins cutting Kyle Van Noy. And I know there's no real take here. It's really just me complaining about a confusing cut, but I'm genuinely trying to find an answer. I, I, I'm venting my, my reasoning and logic to you to try and find reason as to why Kyle Van Noy uh, would was cut by the Miami Dolphins. And again, the perception is, man, Kyle Van Noy earned $30 million in his time as a Dolphin, and he gets to choose where he plays next year, and that's not exactly correct. He earned $15 million if he was still on the roster by whatever uh, roster designation day. Um whatever date that is, he would have been paid an additional 15 million guaranteed. So he's only been paid $15 million guaranteed. Uh, the, the rest of the contract turns into dead money after that. And, you know, now Kyle gets to go play somewhere else. Maybe he goes back to new England. Maybe he goes to, um, Oh, what's a team in need of a, of a linebacker. Maybe he goes to, you know, a place like Detroit or something. Uh, you know, so, a, a very confusing cut for the, and these are these are the type of cuts and and money decisions that really keep the teams like the Dolphins at the bottom of the league, even when it appears like they're going to make jumps and make strides, uh, they make confusing decisions with their personnel. I'm not saying Kyle Van Noy is the best linebacker that ever played, uh, because I don't. He certainly isn't. But when it comes to what he meant to that locker room, how dedicated he was, and how committed he was to what uh, Brian Flores was doing in Miami, he was committed to the culture. Sure, his price tag was expensive, but you have the cap space to be able to afford that that cap hit at least for this season. Uh, it makes no sense to me. It, it makes no sense. So I I would assume that. Um, the, the, the Dolphins draft a linebacker in the draft now. I would assume that they probably take uh, the guy from Notre Dame with their 18th overall pick in the draft. <clears throat> and, uh, again, makes no sense to me. The Dolphins pretty much had everything that they had available to them to be able to address the needs of the football team in the draft. In the first round, you could draft tackle, you could draft wide receiver in the first round and pretty much solve the biggest issues that the Dolphins had. 
with their football team last season. And now you're going to need to find another replacement for Kyle Van Noy. And I don't know if there's, I don't know if there is a, a free agent linebacker that's going to be as good as Kyle Van Noy that you can sign for a cheaper fr- price that might justify this decision. Again, real head scratcher. And a lot of me talking about this segment is me trying to talk it out with myself and you guys and try and figure out what the hell the Dolphins are doing here. Genuinely have no clue. Very confusing to me. Uh, so that was a little bit of a cap recap, a cap casualty recap there um, on the Hard Headed Sports Podcast. Very confusing. It's very, very confusing. Um, sticking in the AFC East, I did want to talk about Sam Darnold and the Jets because it's it's getting to be about that time where trade talks are going to be coming in for certain quarterbacks. And trade talks, trade phone calls, rather, are coming in for Sam Darno. Uh, Joe Douglas, general manager for the New York Jets, acknowledged as much that he is getting calls about Sam Darnold. And, and, and now the media is going to rehash a question that we've been asking for pretty much an entire year at this point. It's like, is Sam Darnold the guy in New York? Is Sam Darnold going to be the guy moving forward? Should the Jets trade Sam Darnold? What should they do? They have the number two overall pick in the draft. A lot of people think that Zach Wilson is going to go to the Jets at number two. And really, it just revolves around what the Jets do. Sam Darnold at this point. And by the way, the Jets are going to take their sweet ass time with this. They are going to take so long because as soon as they do something with Sam Darnold, that is going to tip their hand as to what they're going to do in the draft. And that's going to tip teams off. And that's going to either... Uh, artificially increase the value of a trade from the number two pick, or that's going to decrease it depending on what they do. So I would be surprised if uh, Sam Darnold gets traded right now. I think he would be traded probably maybe up to even the moment before the draft starts um, because the Jets don't necessarily want to tip their hand in that fashion. But back to the question, what should the Jets do with Sam Darnold? And, I don't actually have any notes here. Now, normally I do my research before the show. I've said that a couple of times on the show. I've got notes to kind of help me through the segment or, or my thoughts leading in and maybe some stats and some research. I have no notes for this segment. And that's because I genuinely don't know what the Jets should do with Sam Darnold. And I was hoping that I could talk it out and figure out how I feel just artificially and naturally about what I think the Jets should do. And my initial gut reaction, my initial gut feeling is you should keep Sam Darnold and you should trade away the number two pick. There's two philosophies when it comes to rebuilding. It's either you find the quarterback and then you build around the quarterback or you find the team first and then you find the quarterback. It's an either or situation. And depending on how you feel about Sam Darnold, there are some people that are incredibly high on him. There are some people that think that Sam Darnold is not that great of a quarterback. I have seen enough in watching Sam Darnold over the last three years to see flashes of brilliance among the dumpster fire that has been the New York Jets over the past three seasons. So from a talent perspective, I'm taking a look at somebody like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields and saying, well, you can really only go sideways. It's not like Sam Darnold has proven enough to prove that he should be the starting quarterback. But in that same breath, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or whoever or Trey Lance or whoever you would draft in that number two slot, they absolutely haven't either. And, you know, it's all about, you know, analysis and watching game film and trying to put X's and O's together as to comparing quarterbacks in the draft to quarterbacks that are already in the NFL. 
But again, I've or I've seen enough from Sam Darnold in the three years that I've been watching him play football to say that kid can be special with the right situation. And it begs the question if the Jets are still the right situation, because sometimes a change in scenery is all you need. I think a change of scenery, especially in Jared Goff's case, coming going from L.A. to Detroit might be good for his career. And I a part of me thinks that the same might be the same for Dan, uh, for for Dan Star, for for Sam Darnold. If he wants to stay in New York, all the power to him. But if I were Sam Darnold, I'd be sick of New York and I'd want to try someplace else. And it it really, again, begs the question on what the Jets are trying to do. Do they want to get their team first or do they want to get their quarterback first? And I would argue that they already do have their quarterback and they would probably be beneficial to the Jets organization if they trade that number two pick and get more draft capita, trade back, and then pick up some pieces along the way. Uh, could you imagine uh, Becton and Panay Sewell on opposite sides of the line from each other? That would be probably one of the best offensive line in the league at that point. Um, if you want to get a weapon for Darnold, like Devonta Smith, or if you want to get an edge rusher, or do you want to get Kyle Pitts at number two? Although I think tight end at number two, even though Kyle Pitts really isn't a tight end, he's more of a, he's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. Uh, I feel like Kyle Kyle Pitts would be a decent pick as well. So you know, just talking it out, I really feel like the best thing that the Jets could do is. Um, sit with Sam Darnold, try not to trade him, maybe do a little bit of smoke and mirrors and act like you're going to trade him. And, you know, once teams realize that you're not going to trade Darnold, then you could start fishing out for that second overall pick. Because again, as I said at the beginning of the segment, the Jets are not going to do anything right now. I think it would be stupid if they tried to make a move at this moment. It would definitely tip their hand as to what they want to do with that number two overall pick. And trust me, if if you tip your if, if you don't tip your hand and you finally announce that hey we're going to stick with Sam Darnold right before the draft the asking price for that number two pick is going to absolutely skyrocket as opposed to what you what that pick what that pick's value would mean if you had it and you made a deal right now. So you know talking myself through it I I don't think that the Jets say uh, trade Sam Darnold. Um, it really depends on what Sam Darnold is feeling as well. I'm sure they're having talks internally with the organization as to what Sam Darnold would want. He's only 23 or 24, but again, as I as I made the comparison to Jared Goff, sometimes a change in scenery can be good for your career, especially in a place that's been stagnant. And, you know, at this point, I'm really hedging bets that it was an Adam Gase problem instead of a Sam Darnold problem. And the good thing and the other thing that I've kind of neglected until this point is that the Jets have the cap space to actually be able to do both. You know, ¿por qué no los dos? Why not do both? You can, you can draft a quarterback at number two and also keep Sam Darnold on the roster at a $9 million cap hit. And dry and have some competition and see what kind of move that you have. You have the cap space to be able to to be able to afford that one season of Sam Darnold at a nine million dollar cap hit before deciding whether or not you want to move on and maybe you trade him next year. That's also a thought, and that's a thought that I had in the back of my head, but I was kind of neglecting that thought. Is that again, you know, the Jets have the cap space to be able to sit there and say, okay. Uh, we, we have the cap space to take a $9 million cap it for Sam this season while we draft his potential replacement at number two and just have that quarterback competition and see where the chips fall at this point. 
because again, I think I I think Adam Gase was a ginormous problem in New York, and if you take a look at the Ryan Tannehill effect of what Adam Gase was doing with Tannehill in Miami, Tannehill looked like he was regressing. He goes to Tennessee and he has near comeback player of the year slash MVP, not MVP caliber seasons, but he has extremely good seasons for Tennessee. You, Adam Gase obviously was in New York. Sam Darnold looked like a wreck at times, so. Again, I'm banking more so on the fact that it was an Adam Gase problem as opposed to a Sam Darnold problem. The Jets aren't going to do anything right now. They don't want to tip their hand as to what they're going to be doing or what they're going to want to do at the quarterback position for the for the value of that number two overall pick. And I think there's a good reality, and it could be a, a smart financial decision. I know spending money seems like a smart financial decision, but regardless, my point being, you take that $9 million cap hit, you also draft a quarterback number two, and then you see uh, how the chips fall where they may. Uh, but I think I think, you know, as 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 I, as I say that out loud, it's like, man, that would be cool, and financially you could do it. But wasting a number two overall pick on a quarterback, but also keeping the quarterback that you already had, just damages the rest of the team. Where you could draft a position player like Devontae Smith or Panay Sewell to help out the football team overall. So. Those are the kind of options that are on the table for the Jets at this point. Again, I think that the Jets probably don't trade Sam as much as they are taking phone calls about Sam. They're not going to do anything now to drive up the price of the number two overall pick. And if I were the Jets, I would trade that number two overall pick, get some more picks later in the draft, and uh, load up on talent. Uh, The Jets are in a pretty interesting situation. Let's see what happens to them there. And to end the show today, we are going to do another installment of the Front Office Frenzy segment. We've been having some good luck with some easy teams as of late. And if you are new to this segment, and this is your first time listening or watching this segment, uh, because of these, all of these segments do get posted on YouTube after the show is over. If you're new to the segment, it's a segment in which I draw a team randomly out of this hat right here. And in 15 minutes or less, I am tasked with creating a logical, reasonable game plan for that team to end up being in the playoffs at the very least next season. I have basically no help. I've get I've got the team's record. I've got the cap space for that team as of February 4th when I looked up all the cap spaces. So obviously that might be a little bit different. Um... And then I have the amount of draft picks that that team has in the draft, along with some smaller blue uh, uh, bullet points, whether that be an important free agent or an important name to remember to help me carry myself through the segment. Other than that, I'm basically doing all of this off the top of my head. And today's team is going to be... Oh, the New York football giants. Oh, okay. That's actually kind of topical. Man, the front office frenzy has been the the, the hat of wonders has been doing very good for me recently. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we, we talked a little bit about the Giants earlier today. They've already cut some players, so their cap space is going to be a little bit outdated, but excuse me, itching my nose a little bit. Excuse me. Pardon me. Um the Giants were six and ten last season. They had two million dollars in cap space as of February fourth. With the cutting of David Mayo and Golden Tate, they probably have closer to maybe twelve million at this point. I think Golden Tate saved about five million dollars in cap space, if I remember correctly. So they have about ten million dollars in cap space at this point, and they have six picks in the twenty twenty one NFL draft. The Football Giants, <laughs> um, you know, the Giants. I think the biggest thing to note with the Giants is that they looked absolutely lost on offense without Saquon Barkley. Uh, Saquon had another horrible injury tearing his ACL, 
and without him, the Giants looked absolutely horrible. Daniel Jones looked like a bust. The Giants' wide receiver core were very inconsistent. Uh, Golden Tate dropped a lot of passes. Evan Ingram dropped a lot of passes. Uh, Darius Slayton and um, uh, Shepard looked okay at times, but there's no dominant number one wide receiver in New York since Odell Beckham Jr. left. And, you know, the defense was was what kept the Giants in games for a lot of the season, for a lot of the games last season. Uh, it was an above average defense, I think top 15 in the NFL in most categories. So good, but not great, but good enough to keep them in some ball games. Uh, the the defensive backcourt for the Giants did surprisingly well, and Leonard Williams had an, an outstanding season uh, on a franchise tag, so they're probably going to have to do something about Leonard Williams this offseason. I don't know if the money's there to necessarily re-sign Leonard Williams, but I will probably get to that. Um, this is really a make-or-break year for David Gettleman, I think. Uh, most Giants fans will be quick to tell you that they do not like David Gettleman and they want that man gone. So if the Giants miss the playoffs again this season in an NFC East division, which is absolutely horrible, uh, then this will probably be Gettleman's last season in New York. Um, so what do the Giants do to be contenders in this upcoming season uh, in the NFC East where they do really have a good chance to host a playoff game because all of those teams are really, really bad. Uh, the Eagles are going to be probably bottom barrel of the league. The Redskins are probably the best team in that division at this point. And then the Cowboys, as long as, especially with if they don't sign Dak Prescott, they're going to be not so good. Um, if the Giants are ever going to be able to make it to the playoffs, uh, they're going to need Daniel Jones. They're going to be they're going to need to give Daniel Jones some other weapons to work with. They're going to need to give him the chance to live up to his number six overall selection back in 2019. They need to give him some offensive weapons. Uh, the defense proved capable enough to where you can finally get some more weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, first of all, get Evan Ingram off my damn football team. Uh, I don't know how that man was selected to a Pro Bowl last season when he had close to 11 drops. And uh, as I read a stat, uh, something when I was reading about Golden Tate for another segment earlier today, which is like, wow, the front office frenzy is actually doing me some favors by picking a team that I actually read about recently uh, with with the Golden Tate releasing you know, with Evan Ingram. The the Colts, uh, not the Colts. What the fuck? The 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 Giants quarterbacks had thrown twelve interceptions, and six of those interceptions came on balls thrown to Evan Ingram, and a lot of them were tipped dr slash dropped passes to Evan Ingram that resulted in interceptions. Get Evan Ingram off my damn football team. You need to find a replacement for him, and I think your replacement actually just got released by Minnesota earlier this week. I think Kyle Rudolph would be a great replacement for Evan Ingram. That's a surefire veteran, nice person, great football player, and Kyle Rudolph, that would be a great replacement for Evan Ingram, and that would be a great target for Daniel Jones. You might be able to get to get him a little bit cheaper. Uh, obviously, money is an important concern to Rudolph at this point because he didn't take a pay cut in Minnesota, but regardless, especially if you're, you're, you're breaking open that cap space and you're getting some more cap space now instead of $2 million, like I had in my notes with the dropping of Mayo and, and Golden Tate, you now have closer to $10 million. You could absolutely sign... Uh, you can absolutely sign Rudolph and make some cuts elsewhere. So I think trading out Ingram and getting Rudolph would be a really good idea for the Giants. I want Evan Ingram off my football team. And then it, it just you know falls on getting some more offensive weapons 
uh, for Daniel Jones. I mean, the Giants aren't in the best position to make a lot of free agent moves this offseason, uh, but they can make some cuts on the offensive line. I think between Nate Solder and um, Kevin Zeitzler, I think his name is, they can save about 20, anywhere from like 15 to 20 million dollars in cap space so if you really wanted to get some cap space you can replace some uh members of the offensive line nate solder is a backup at best at this point in his career uh not worth the cap space that you're paying him and zeitzler i believe was one of the higher graded guards at his position but i do believe the giants drafted a young guard that is getting a lot of playing time and he's getting much better so maybe you can afford to cut Zeitler yeah the offensive line isn't going to be that great for the Giants this year on that knowledge and obviously Daniel Jones was under some pressure last season so you know you got to weigh your options a little bit there but I think if you're looking for general cap space you can if you can cut 20 million dollars from the offensive line and put that into weapons for Daniel Jones you should do it and then focus on the draft to get some more offensive line talent um, Leonard Williams is a free agent this season. They franchised him last season. We talked about that at the beginning of the segment. I think you need to put some serious thought and money into paying Leonard Williams. You can franchise him again at about $37 million, which is a gigantic cap hit to take, but, um... I think you probably want to invest in getting Leonard Williams a long-term contract if possible. Uh, he was probably your best player on defense last year. You got to make the money to get there, which is why I'm like, hey, the, the Giants don't have a lot of space to do too much in free agency. But again, it depends on how much money they cut. Um, uh, apart from Leonard Williams, I'm trying to think here. Um I think the, another place that the Giants should go to in terms of free agency is maybe getting a second cornerback, a cornerback that is, to go across from uh, Bradbury who had a really good season. Uh, you can get you can get a number two cornerback, maybe somebody like Richard Sherman who now is entering that mercenary stage uh, stage of his his NFL career where you can sign him for a one or two year, $10 million deal. So you, it's a 5 million per deal cut with any X amount of guaranteed money. So Richard Sherman is going into that mercenary stage of his career. You might be able to get a nice number two cornerback like Sherman to go across from Bradbury and really bolster the, uh, the defensive back core, which was one of the best groups for the giants defense last year. And then I think you really just need to rely on the draft at that point. Um, I'm trying because again, it depends on how much money you can cut from the offensive line. Uh, again, I said about 15 to 20 million if you cut those specific players. Uh, about 10 million if you choose to cut Solder and keep uh, Kevin Zeitzler. But then again, that limits the amount that you can spend in free agency. Um, we'll see how that develops. And again, uh, I I'm sorry for this being so scatterbrained, but this is all coming off the top of my head. I think that's all that I would think about doing in free agency. Obviously the defensive line is an area of concern for uh, the giants. They needed a better pass rush last season, apart from Leonard Williams. So <clears throat> I think, I think when it comes to the draft with your first round pick, you either need to go with Jalen Waddle out of Alabama if you can't get anybody in free agency, which I don't think the Giants are going to go after a wide receiver in free agency, if you can get Jalen Waddle at number 11th, I mean, Waddle is fast, he's explosive, he is legitimately one step behind Devonta Smith coming out of Alabama. He could be an absolute steal. He might actually be better than Devonta Smith one day, depending on what system he goes into. 
Uh, Jalen Waddle would be a great pickup for the Giants at 11. I can't remember. I think the last time they drafted a wide receiver this high probably would have been Odell Beckham Jr. Um, they need a good number one wide receiver. Waddle could step in and be that number one wide receiver uh, almost immediately. If you don't want to go wide receiver, definitely go defensive end. Gregory Rousseau, I've thrown around that name for a lot of teams so far this segment or, or during you know this segment series. Gregory Rousseau is probably the best defensive end in the draft on a lot of people's boards. So if he's available at 11, take him at 11, get some better pass rush on the defense, and then hope that you make enough uh, free agency acquisitions to bolster the offense for the Giants. Uh, round two, I think you take the best offensive player uh, on the line, whether that's a tackle, whether that's a center, whether that's a guard. I think you probably take the best offensive lineman, especially if you're going to lose and cut multiple offensive linemen off in your, your free agency cuts. Um, and with the number 11th pick in the in, in each subsequent round, you'd have a very good chance to catch an offensive lineman that's a first-round talent that slipped into the second round. So I think second round, you need to go offensive lineman if, new, if, if you're David Gettleman in New York. And then your third-round pick, and if you're new here, we only go through the first three rounds and then maybe some recommendations for the later rounds. Number three, or round number three, Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State uh, could be another quarterback. Say you sign Richard Sermon on the offseason. You can also draft Asante Samuel Jr. He's on the small side. He's got a ball hawking personality, so he could be a slot he could be a slot uh, cornerback or he can play the outside opposite to Bradbury. Again, he's a little underside, undersized, just like his father, crazy enough. Um but that could be another good cornerback acquisition to really solidify the cornerback position for the Giants. Again, I know the defensive backcourt was pretty good for the Giants last season, but you can always uh, get better in that aspect. And especially, it's, it's so hard to find a good slot cornerback in the NFL. And I think Asante Samuel is going to size up to be about that for uh, whatever team he gets drafted for. And I think that's pretty much all I can say about the New York Giants. That is how the New York Giants can be contenders by the end of next season. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the front office, front office frenzy segment. Tune in next time to see if we do your team next. And with that, that is the end of the show today. We're going to probably catch close to the 50 minute mark for the first time in a while. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I had a lot of fun. I hope you had a lot of fun too. Again, I am not sure about whether or not I'm going to be able to post any content this weekend because I'm going to have to go home, get some work done, fix this uh, permanent brace in my mouth that's stabbing my mouth all the time, uh, making me talk a little funny. So hopefully I'll be able to get content up this weekend. If not, the podcast should have its next episode by either next Tuesday or next Wednesday. We shall see how that develops over time. But again, thank you so much for all the support. Thank you so much for listening, watching, and, and, and watching. All of these highlights will be posted on YouTube within a couple of hours. On behalf of me, Nick Ryan, you are listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast. Stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.